everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 8, issue 383. And this is Metal Gear Solid 5 Ground Zeroes. We split it up. We were going to do the whole Metal Gear Solid 5 thing in one podcast, but as it turns out, we decided latterly to split them up. Uh, hopefully it means we'll have enough time to talk about uh, the mechanics and the gameplay and the visuals and the technicals and the story in an, an adequate uh, form over the two podcasts. We'll see what we can do. Uh, play along with the show and our next shows coming up are about the game Superhot. Then it's Prey 2017. After that, we'll check back in with Assassin's Creed. We're up to four Black Flag in that series. Following that, we're going to talk all about DJ Hero and DJ Hero 2. And then celebrating its 40th anniversary, we're going to talk about Galaxian and the games that came after it, such as Gallagher and Gatplus and so on and so forth. Canarince.com has the schedule up to the end of the year, as well as links to everything else that we do. You can also find this podcast a week early on Patreon, patreon.com slash If you pledge just a dollar a month, around 20p a week, it's about 82p in total at the current exchange rate. You get shows early, you get shows extended, you get our format specials three months early. Currently, our uh, Amiga show is out there waiting to be listened to. And you also help us keep on making Kana Rinse and all the other stuff. We have Sound of Play on Wednesdays, which is with musical tracks and guests. On Thursdays, we have Playwright, where we create all new game ideas from nothing. And on Fridays, Chris O'Regan invites developers into his sausage factory uh, subscribe review and rate this show and all of the above wherever you get them apple podcasts or whatever of course you can subscribe via rss feed you can go on smart speaker you can listen to this show on spotify or whatever's convenient for you uh, you can also download and stream any and all of our old podcasts via canarince.com don't forget that we have some presence on twitch and youtube canarince streaming stuff Subscribe, check us out on there and look out on our social media, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter to find out what we're up to. Now joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 383 are Jay Taylor. Hello. Carl Moon. Hey, everyone. And Richard Davidson. Hello. Hi, Rich. Uh, Rich is, you may have, you may have heard of Rich before. He's a, a stalwart member of the community, sometimes sound of play guest. Yeah, I think three times now. So that's... Uh... That's sort of my wheelhouse, I suppose, yeah. Crikey. Nice to be, yeah. You, you managed to sneak that by me far too often. Yeah, indeed. Right, Metal Gear Solid Five. then, Ground Zeroes. This is the prologue slash demo slash tech demo. We'll probably call it a few different things. The game that came out in advance of the main game, Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain, it was released at a budget to mid price of around £25 at the time. Since then, it's got cheaper and been given away free. Uh, on the box, it says tactical espionage operations, but I suppose we could translate that to something like third-person stealth combat action. Sounds a bit reductive, but uh, tells most of the story. Kojima Productions made this before the drama or during the drama, but we didn't know about the drama at the time between Kojima and Konami. We still, I guess, don't know everything about it, but we know it was... Difficult and acrimonious and arguably the Phantom Pain, which we'll talk about in a couple of months or whenever it is, uh, was not finished and polished off in the way that had been intended. And perhaps the last 
certainly the last period of development sounds rather fraught and fractious and unpleasant, but there's only so much information that's out there, I guess, conjecture-wise. Let's assume that most of the pain, pardon the pun, hadn't been inflicted between the parties involved at the point that Ground Zeroes was being put together. So the development and the publicity prior to the release was, as usual with Kojima stuff, not as straightforward. I remember the thing I remember about it was uh, there was the whole stuff with the um, the, the studio fa- pseudo fake studio, if I can say that Moby Dick studio. Um, was this this follows up from the Metal Gear Solid Four stuff, doesn't it? And there was also the stuff with the the crazy. Um, head transplant doctor and people were suggesting that the the character in the game uh, or the character in in real life was actually an entire fictional construct by Kojima and his team and various uh, as usual you know the game came out the announcement was uh, it was just the phantom pain wasn't it and then people worked out that you could just make out the where the 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 cuttings out of the corners of the letters of Metal Gear Solid were uh, anyone have any memories of, of this and was anyone taken in by any of the subterfuge and was it intriguing or was it eye-rollingly uh, indulgent? <laughs> I think you'd have to say that it was a little bit eye-rollingly indulgent. Um, but I think you, at this point I'd actually be disappointed if we got a Kojima production that wasn't. Um, whether or not we know it was Kojima at the time, I think people thought it was. It was. Um, it took a little bit of time to be confirmed. But I think we were all pretty much set that it had to be Metal Gear Solid um, before the new era. And there was nothing as obvious as the fact that it was not a real studio. Um, I think we all were aware that Moby Dick Studios was not actually a real thing, uh, given the production. And I think the, the dead giveaway was probably the Fox engine, which we knew was a, a Konami-based product. And it was very clearly that engine that was uh, being uh, demoed. So it kind of kept it inside Konami and, you know... It, you put two and two together and it it lends itself Obviously to be Mel here solid, yeah. yeah. I think on an even more superficial level, you can't really deny the fact that the protagonist of some of the video footage that put together looks sort of unmistakably a lot like Snake, but um, there was just too much sort Bullets. of like, yeah, there's a lot <laughs> yeah. of like of that esoteric sort of uh, nonsense that he likes to put in some of his trailers mm. just to throw you off the scent, like uh, the whale and the sort of heavy lean into some of the Moby Dick ideology and stuff like that. But yeah, it was the world's worst kept secret in my opinion. Mm. Kojima sort of stands kind of on his own because I can't think of a single game developer that handles social media and almost like the cult of his personality uh, than Kojima. It's like he just, nothing sticks to this guy. He just sort of, the fans lap it up. And you look at how he does his social media, you look at all these games and how he kind of promotes them through, you know, various ways. And it's Mm. just, he is quite fascinating to sort of, to see how he operates with this stuff. He is savvy when it comes to dealing Mm. with a, a sort of a media presence. Very much so, and I think if you look at his social media, you you can probably understand, without annoying all the facts, as Leon's already alluded to at the start, why Konami might have struggled in actually managing and maintaining Kojima, because his own presence in social media was bigger than Konami's presence in social media, and the following was bigger, and it was kind of, if if Kojima could probably do better without Konami than Konami could do without Kojima in this kind of game, um, and just to see it, I can't think of any other designers, developers, auteurs, whatever you want to call uh, Kojima, 
that actually does have that social media presence. And I absolutely agree with you, Jay. He is very, very savvy, and it it stands out in how he manages himself online. I think there's there's something to be said. There's quite a lot of dichotomy between the way that he portrays himself on social media. So there's lots of retweets of Majura, lots of pictures of his own lunch, for example, and the fact that he has absolutely no political leanings in his social media presence. And then you have something like Metal Gear Solid Ground Zeroes and to some extent uh, the Phantom Pain that are like quite profound political messages to do with the way that he interprets things like nuclear proliferation, mutually assured destruction and all of that sort of good stuff that clearly has a, a, a massive impact on Japanese culture and society in, on the round. And a very well-maintained dual language uh, presence as well with his English account and the Japanese account as well. So the game was originally conceived as a direct sequel to 2010's PSP release, Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker, which of course came to other consoles later on as part of an HD collection. We played it and covered it some years ago in our Metal Gear Solid series of podcasts that was uh, released. Uh, this was going to be released, sorry, Phantom Pain originally was going to be P uh, PS Vita and PS3, but it was delayed multiple times due to development issues and other projects. Uh, after learning about the upcoming generation of games consoles, the Vita version was scrapped, which, yeah, understandable, although the PS3 and 360 got versions, so I, I, I imagine it would still have been possible to get a working Vita version out there, but how many units it would have sold, debatable, I would have thought. Uh, some developers, particularly indie developers, supported, and some sort of hardcore JRPG developers and things have supported the Vita right into its uh, into its dotage, but I guess Konami weren't interested in that. Uh, Metal Gear Solid Five was teased under the name Project Ogre. I don't remember that at all. Uh, it was released then, Ground Zeroes this was, on the 360, PS3, PS4 and Xbox One, March 2014. Over five years ago now, the PC version arrived in December of that year. Ground Zeroes has since become free to download as part of uh, on the PS4 as part of PS Plus. That was 2015. <laughs> and free to download on the Xbox One uh, as part of Games with Gold. It's also been uh, the 360 version's also been free to download. You can yeah, if you have any one of those accounts, like um, even if you bought the game at the time, you've probably got it again now digitally. The game ahead of its release was actually referenced on South Park and one of their sort of ever so topical shows about Black Friday in 2013. There was a Ground Zeroes themed DLC pack cross promotionally available for Little Big Planet 3, the Little Big Planet we haven't ever covered on this show. That was December 2014. I know there was there was a fair bit of Metal Gear stuff in Little Big Planets 1 and 2, as I recall, wasn't there? The costumes and things, yeah. Uh, the reviews, well, this is an interesting one. I just average it out across all the formats and all the releases, and it comes out a very neat 75%. And I think it's one of those where, it, although it's interesting, it's also kind of irrelevant. I, I'm not sure if reviewers knew exactly how to kind of judge it or mark it, because I think there was some people felt that it was a an overpriced demo whereas other people kind of you know threw themselves into it and as we'll hear plenty of people got a lot of hours of entertainment out of it um, but yeah a, a reasonable a reasonable reception but not a glowingly positive yeah. one so i think that's interesting because um i don't know if anybody else shares the same opinions as myself but there's a lot of um like leg work for you to do in order to kind of eke out a lot of the story so i'd be interested to yeah. see what the circumstances under which they were reviewing this were because i know it's an yeah. aggregated score but 75 percent feels a bit safe it's sort of middling uh, <laughs> 
yeah. and, and doesn't really represent any opinion at all. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, obviously the danger, as always, when we give out the aggregated mean average of opinions is there's there's an argument it it's meaningless it's only just to give a sense anyway but actually in this case i was looking you know looking at the high scores and the low scores there's not much between them like no nobody really as far as i noticed gave it a massive kicking and nobody gave it a you know it's not like the the sixes averaged out the tens or whatever it was just that actually people just kind of yeah gave it in that area um as you know somebody who's done a bit of reviewing Myself, I can imagine that you would have got this, you know, probably relatively soon before release. You wouldn't necessarily have the time to put 50 hours into unlocking everything and doing 100%. Some people may have only played to the end of the main mission and gone, ooh, <laughs> that's really short. Uh, but I'm sure that most most reviewers, you know, diligent reviewers will have clocked that finishing things unlocks more things and actually there is there is more to be done. But whether people actually want to do that, I don't know. I'd, I'd certainly, anecdotally from punters, I don't think any, not everybody who bought it wanted to play it that way, uh, and that's you know that's their prerogative, I guess. If they're yeah, supposed to spend money, I mean, money you on see it. that with. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if uh, the Xbox has a percentage, but with the trophies, you can see kind of a percentage yeah. of players' stuff, and that stuff's sometimes quite eye-opening. How yeah. you can look at it. Yeah. You know, you can see like, you know, the only seven, you know, I can't, I actually should have checked before, but it's like when you look at all the different trophies in this and then you see the percentage, you can see that clearly a lot of people didn't get very far yeah. into the gameplay. I mean, so. I, I, I've got around, I think I've got 23% and I've played, mm -hmm. I reckon, eight hours or something like that. Yeah. Which makes about sense with, with what I've read. But equally, it doesn't mean, you know, if people don't enjoy it enough to play to 100%, then that's that's fine as well people aren't you know don't have to play something to 100 percent to no. know if they like it or not so um sales wise this was uh back in april 2014 but konami announced that the game had shipped a million copies uh, the ps4 version has sold apparently three times more than the xbox one version there's a long association with playstation and metal gear although the conversion started back in the xbox one generation uh, it's never been associated with Xbox quite as strongly as it is with PS4. Although, if you are to play, if you do play it on Xbox One X now, you will get the best technical um, experience. Apparently, I suppose user reviews. Then, if if we're saying that maybe you know critic professional reviews are less useful, user reviews are maybe more useful. But they come out <laughs> almost exactly the same. Uh, so over on IMDb, you've got seven point seven out of ten from over two thousand punters. Which is very close to what the pros said. So, make of that what you will. Push Square, it's a PlayStation-based site. We've got seven point two out of ten, albeit from fewer people. Uh, we'll give a spoiler warning. Obviously, the story to this game does it is kind of self-contained, but it also leads into the Phantom Pain. We may need to give a spoiler warning for the Phantom Pain as well in this show. I'm not sure. We may as well because we're going to spoil all that when we cover that anyway. So. If you haven't completed Ground Zeroes and or Phantom Pain, be warned. We're going to talk about plot details. Yeah, here we go. So what about history-wise? Did any of us wait to play Ground Zeroes until the Phantom Pain was already out? Or, Rich, did you buy this in advance of Metal Gear as a fan of the series, desperate to get your hands on the latest chunk of action? No, I mean, there's very little to remark on my uh, 
history with Ground Zeroes because I actually picked it up on the Christmas of 2014 and I believe that was the Christmas that uh, Sony had the DDoS attack. So the only two games that I play were Ground Zeroes and uh, Drive Club. So as you can probably imagine, uh, oh. with the sort of blandness of recent games, uh, Ground Zeroes saw a lot of, of history there. But uh, my personal history with Metal Gear is also quite remarkable. I, I really like the games, but I wouldn't say any more than anybody else, with the exception mm. of Peace Walker, which is one that I pumped quite a lot of hours into just because of its kind of close proximity to Monster Hunter, another game that yeah. I, I like a lot, a lot. Um, <laughs> it's um, probably very similar. A lot of people have just kind of approached it piecemeal, and I suppose it's probably important for me to reflect on the fact that my relationship with uh, The Phantom Pain is probably a bit more profound than with uh, with Ground Zeroes because that was a game that I immediately and instantly fell in love with, and, and Ground Zeroes, because of its scope and its kind of... Uh, um, I don't really know how to say this in a non-pejorative way. It's it, it. There's less to do and there's less kind of flexibility yeah. in there. Um, it's something that I've kind of chipped away at over the course of the last five years. Yeah, that's about it, really. <laughs> and chipped away to the extent of what? Do you know what your completion percentage is? Uh, yeah, certainly 100%. And that was something that I went back well, to earlier this year. But I think 100%, it probably sort of bears noting that 100% doesn't necessarily reflect on my comprehension of the story and even last week I was sort of right. uh, reflecting on that myself and thinking I don't quite know what's going on here so it's been quite an intense week of really trying to upskill myself and looking oh, at good. what the circumstances were and um, there's a spoiler one and obviously there and I think uh, from my perspective certainly the spoiler one and also extends to, to Peace Walker where it has a lot more sort of connection with that story than perhaps the Phantom Pain yeah true Jay you're a series fan lifelong or lots life of the series long anyway mm. well solids yeah um yes. <laughs> yeah yeah i but yet even then i did not pick this up day one in fact i picked this up almost exactly a year after it launched all right um partly because i didn't i didn't want to buy it on ps3 but i didn't want to buy it at 24.99 if i'm honest cheapskate that i am <laughs> part of the problem was that i was reading people saying there was a lot of social media mm. stuff at the time. People saying, you can clock it in 15 minutes. And I was like, yeah, I'm not paying 25 quid for that. I knew there'd be more to it. There always is. But mm. it was always this value for money aspect where there were other things that I could pay 25 quid for that would give me a lot more time spent. Right. Yeah. Um. So I waited. I didn't have a PS4. I wanted to wait for the PS4 version because that's the version we'd all seen in the trailers prior to this it was oh, all yeah okay yeah yeah so i thought i'm not gonna there's not a lot between them resolution being the main one and yes. and just a few little extra sort of visual mm. tweaks but yeah. you know they're pretty good comparatively yeah um i got a ps4 in 2014 i didn't get this until march when it dropped to 7.99 on a sale and then they gave it away a few months later or something anyway <laughs> right. but yeah. such is the way but yeah so then now i just played through played through the main mission tried to unlock the second one put it down for about two three years and then came back to it came back to it i think um after i'd played the hell out of phantom pain and then came back into that oh. to unlock all the other stuff <laughs> curious but yeah i mean i'm currently at 81 percent, i think completion on that hmm. any idea on a game clock on that does it have a yeah i think i'm about 27 hours in right yeah, okay, that, that tallies as well, roughly, mm. with mine. Carl, how about you? Did you uh, pre-order? I know you like your limited editions and all this. There were quite a few. Did you get your uh, 
your Fox PS4 and all that kind of thing? Or did that only come out with the Phantom Pain? That was the Phantom Pain, which I looked at. Um, of course you did. Looked at the console, I looked at the one with the hand for the Phantom Pain, but in the end I, I ended up getting the base Ground Zeroes. Uh, it was Slam. pre-ordered, so I did get it day one. Lo and behold, my first time through was about 90 minutes, and I was like, well, that's not too bad, you know. Um, I don't I don't mind that cost, and I was playing it with my friend, um, the same friend that I always play all the Metal Gear Solid games through with or had done to that point. Um, we're both very much a fan of that kind of how can we approach this situation, and whilst that was great in the other Metal Gear Solids, it opened up a lot in Ground Zeroes. It was a case of, can we do this? Can we do that? And we started like trying to push the boundaries of the of the things that you could actually do. Um, and sometimes they came off, sometimes they didn't, but it was always a surprise. And I think that's why I ended up buying into Ground Zeroes very heavily early on. So I picked it up on the PS4 and put a lot of hours in on there. Then I put more hours on on my friend's PS4 when we played it there. Um, and I did pick it up for free when it was on Games with Gold. And I've started playing it again now on the Xbox. So I can't give an exact figure about how many hours I've played, but it's probably a good 20 to 30 hours um, in total in Ground Zeroes, which that's not a bad amount of hours for no. 25 quid. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I did actually get a copy of this fairly early on after it had been out two or three months. I think I was all up to date with the Metal Gear series after we'd done the podcast series, even a couple of years before this. But uh, as usual, you know, my podcasting gaming schedule and my leisure gaming schedule meant that it got shelved, of course, for a, a far too long. And yeah, I ended up receiving free copies of it on both consoles. And yeah, I've ended up playing it on PS4 just because it feels... Like all the, you know, I've played mm. most of the games in the series on on PlayStation. It just kind of there's something about the the sound effects of of the game matching with the feel of the controller and all this kind of weird stuff. So it's just a sort of long long standing association. So I decided, yeah, play it on PS4 Pro, and I'll be saving the save game from my Ground Zeroes to to play Phantom Pain for the podcast. As I say, yeah, I reckon I've played about I, I don't know. I was saying eight, maybe nearer ten hours, but it's. Uh, I played the, I went and collected all the XOF patches earlier today and I actually kind of ended up doing almost everything on that, that particular play. So that was a two hour sort of mission in the end. So that was just one playthrough and that was just doing the, the main stuff, but also rescuing all the extra prisoners and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I feel like I, I know Camp Omega pretty well, but yeah, my overall completion percentage is a paltry year 22 or 23 something like that there's a lot more that could be done um, but also like rich yeah i have an outline of understanding regarding the story and i did play peace walker albeit just the once and in co-op and about six years ago whenever it was but here we are again we are in we are in 1975 and this is uh, big bosses private army come nation and outer heaven <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Chico is a volunteer who is involved. He's been interned in Camp Omega, which is confusingly uh, Cuban, but it's on American soil, but it's not under American jurisdiction. So no American laws apply there. Obviously, uh, allusions to Guantanamo Bay and things like that. Uh, and there's also Paz. She was an infiltrator in Peace Walker. Effectively, uh, she conned her way into the group and uh, it later yeah, became apparent that she was actually trying to uh, nick the underwater 
Metal Gear. <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah, yes. checks out. Yeah, good. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, we may, you know, we we may or may not know every intricate detail of the plot inside and out. I know that, um, Jay, you, uh, you've had a lot of, you've, you've had way more emotional impact from this series than I have over the years. Like, I, I've enjoyed a lot of these games, but I very much enjoy Kojima's work on a video game developer level rather than a storyteller level. That is not what personally what I enjoy about his work. But was this was going back to the seventies? Was this something that you anticipated? Did, would you rather that he carried on if there was a way of carrying on beyond Metal Gear Solid Four? Did it make obviously it made sense in some ways to go back in time? But was that something you embraced? I can't say that I did. To be honest, I, it wasn't like I had any issue with it. It was just, yeah. um, I was never that invested in Peace Walker, right? So, you know, I played it through on the PS. Three HD remaster. That was mm-hmm. as, as, and to be honest, I, I I played with a member of the community at the time. We played it in co-op, um, map map, um, and it was oh, yeah. yeah, and it was a very annoying experience. Not his fault. It was just the way the game was. You know, the stop-start nature of it was kind of infuriating, and the story was so kind of piecemeal and done in those sort of animated cutscenes. Yeah. Um, that yeah. it didn't engage me in the way that previous yeah, Metal was, Gears had done. That's the impression I got. Yeah, the two Metal Gears that stand out for the story were three and four. Um, they're the ones that I've mm. I soaked it up more than I did in any in any of the other games. Um, so going into 1970, it didn't there wasn't any real connection when I started playing this. But I'm just happy to be playing a Metal Gear game, you know. So I was just kind of. Yeah, let's see where we... I knew the characters. I knew what they were, who they were, what they'd done. And so the premise, it's kind of basic to begin with. You know, you're going in there to, to, um, to well, essentially rescue and to find out what they've, what, you know, because they know stuff you don't want them to find out. So you were going in there to get them back. It's kind of all I needed to go with, really. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose it's it's curious with... Kojima's desire obviously it made sense with the original games of course Metal Gear made in the 80s set in the 80s so it made sense that when he got to go to make Metal Gear Solid 3 he took it back to previous times so he had a 70s set game but it it also means that he doesn't get to do the stuff like he did in Metal Gear Solid 2 where he was kind of Nostradamus like sort of pinging off all these crazy uh, predictions about the future some of which you know turned out to be uncannily accurate and many of which like Nostradamus absolute nonsense but we don't talk about those um but when he does the stuff that's set in the past like like here with Ground Zeroes and Peace Walker there's a real whereas the the future set stuff you can say well okay this tech doesn't exist now but it could do but in this game you've got the whole weird thing where the minute you start the minute you're injected into this camp you've got this eye droid <laughs> which yeah. is clearly yeah. from not from the mid-1970s. Now, I think you can make certain allowances and suspend your disbelief to say, okay, this is, you know, they've got the best scientists and they've got the money and the the research and all this kind of thing. And we know that, like, NASA's, the computers that NASA used to put men on the moon were beyond anything that anyone else could possibly conceive of or afford. But here we've got a guy with basically a smartphone in the 1970s and we're supposed to kind of eat it up so i I suppose at that point we're just saying it's an alternative universe rather than uh, i mean i suppose it has to be if you 
if you look at the enemies and the the yeah, bosses, but it doesn't, yeah, but this is where it gets kind of messy because yeah. it isn't set in an alternative universe. Exactly. It's got yeah. our history and it references yeah. our actual history many, many times throughout the game. So, so this is precisely it, and I think, with the exception of the iDroid, which is antithetical, I don't think Grand Zeroes mm-hmm. does a good enough job of establishing a sense of time. I think it does a good job of establishing a sense of place and topography mm-hmm. and geography and a sort of spatial awareness of where you are. You have to really reach beyond what's happening in the sort of uh, periphery. Well, it, what's happening in the periphery to be able to establish when you are. So all of the tapes, all of the extracurricular stuff involving reading a lot of the sort of job, like bits and bobs that are around there, they are what bring you into a sense of place and time. Mm. And I think that's where Kojima is able to really pull in and, and sort of establish where his knowledge is and, and do it in a bit more of a discreet way than what you would have with the likes of I don't know Metal Gear Solid Three and and Peace Walker. Right. Yeah. We'll talk more about the story. Let's hear from the forum. The reviewist from the community says, I was more shocked than anyone to find that Ground Zeroes really appealed to me on my third attempt. Having received both Ground Zeroes and Phantom Pain as games with gold on Xbox, I thought it worth giving them a stab. And lo and behold, I ended up having a good time. I crept and sneaked through Camp Omega, rescued prisoners and airlifted out foes and had a great time. The campy and ridiculous G.I. Joe bad guy, Skullface, really? notwithstanding but i was finally convinced so this is what all my metal gear solid loving pals are getting out of this series wow following on from this deadpool negative also from the forum says this is no mere tanker mission prelude meant to set up a shocking reveal later well it is meant to set up a shocking reveal but we'll leave that for the phantom pain discussion it's more of a mini sandbox appetizer meant to show players how fox engine will redefine stealth for the metal gear series going forward or not, as the case may be. Big Boss finds himself on a rescue mission to recover Paz and Chico from a Cuban black site named Camp Omega. The game may be set in 1975, but the presence of things like an iDroid and the idea of an American base that has no legal recognition under the United States Constitution, and thus Skullface and his American backers can do whatever they want, makes it very much a game straight out of 2014. I wonder how many players decided to rescue the hooded prisoners that surround Chico in the camp. I decided to grab them all on my first playthrough and have them all extracted. It didn't amount to much, especially given what happens to Mother Base, but there was something grimly satisfying about rescuing those identity-free souls left to rot. Sure, Ground Zeroes is only over in about two hours, maybe less if you know what you're doing, but the sense of immediacy, the feeling that Camp Omega is a very small place where you have plenty of places to hide but nowhere to run is pervasive. Every time I went back to the camp to replay the main story or do a side-op, things felt smaller. It's a marked contrast with the absurd open spaces of Phantom Pain. Unlike Phantom Pain, however, Ground Zeroes at least knows when to wrap up right. Granted, Kojima's fixation on female trauma and suffering was utterly exhausted by Guns of the Patriots, but he finds a way to top himself here that made me throw up my hands in frustration at this game's conclusion. But if you can excise that from the proceedings, Ground Zeroes is a short, sharp, thrilling tale. Okay, so famously, this is the first Metal Gear Solid game in which David Hayter isn't the English language voice for the Snake Big Boss character. (laughs) But Akio Osuka still provides his voice for the character in the Japanese version. In addition to Big Boss, Kiefer Sutherland also voices Raiden in the Jamais Vu mission and classic Snake in the Deja Vu mission by the use of archive sound samples for Big Boss. 
When Raiden speaks, Raiden, sorry, his voice sounds mechanical, but it's still possible to tell that it's Sutherland's recording. Sutherland also is rumoured to voice the medic in the chopper at the end of the first mission. If this is true, his recordings are deepened. If you heighten the pitch, it sounds similar to Sutherland's voice. That's uh, according to the IMDb trivia. I guess they wanted to get their money's worth out of their Sutherland sessions. So obviously this was a controversial thing. A lot of people loved and obviously for obvious reasons fully associated David Hater with the part. I think uh, in the previous Metal Gear Solid podcast we did, Jay and I in particular were critical of Hater's performance sometimes, but it certainly was iconic. And I believe, having not played The Phantom Pain yet, but re- read a few things, it does turn out that there is a justification for the change in voice actor. Justification in that Kojima just simply wanted to work with him. He's a fan of 24, isn't he? So I, think I thought there was, was just... a story justification in The Phantom Pain. Um, I think you could say that, yeah, if you wanted to square a... that circle. Well, we've, we've already issued the spoiler warning. Yeah, there is a point where he says you're also rumoured to voice the medic in the chopper. There's a reason for that, but leave that for the next one but the you know beyond that i mean sutherland is just a better actor like with metal gear 4 hater was struggling with the sort of the lines and stuff i mean that said ground zeroes doesn't give any indication of any kind of voice acting if you will it's it's really thin on the ground yeah really certainly mm. yeah certainly Kiefer Sutherland's voices are pretty sparse throughout and <laughs> it's interesting because like his voice acting is leagues above but the the rest of the cast I think oh. that's really where it kind of suffers falls flat on its face you mean yeah yeah, yeah it's the well, usual uh, Sutherland's not cheap yeah. or he certainly wasn't at that time yeah most of the people are recurring or reappearing aren't they obviously Kojima plays himself in a kind of semi-comedy cameo but also you've got uh, some pretty familiar names in the voice acting world from video games like Robin Atkin Downs playing uh, playing Miller and Roy Campbell and Vulcan Raven, Tara Strong playing Paz. But it is, yeah, for me, I agree, it's the usual. Uh, it is for, for a game that sometimes seems to take itself and for a storyteller who seems to sometimes take himself incredibly seriously, as well as having a lot of humour uh, interspersed, the, the, the sort of delivery of a lot of the stuff is is very... It, yeah. it, it's at odds with its dark nature because it's it's often very campy indeed, especially in the case of, you know, the, and again, I know it's a serious tradition. You have campy villains with campy names and funny kind of affectations or or mm. situations. But here we have Skullface. Essentially, I mean, just to sort of name drop here, I watched a YouTube video with a, a sort of an interview with James Horan, who did the voice for Skullface. And just right. to sort of give credit where it's due, the YouTube uh, channel is Yongye, and it's there to watch. And what's interesting about it is that James Horan effectively has very little opinion on the character of Skullface. Mm-hmm. He recorded all of his lines in isolation with the other characters. He noted how he had very little context with which to try and imagine who Skullface was. The only thing he could say was that Kojima wanted him to have a, a very normal voice as opposed to somebody who's been affected by burns and, and problems of his trachea, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, you can kind of see the 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 responsibility of the delivery of those lines, in my opinion, falls on Kojima. I mean, the actor there is just giving the performance and Kojima is the one who sure. decided that that was the, the best performance that or the most reflective performance of the character he wanted. But it really is bizarre because there's some really strange cadence in the way that he delivers those mm. um, lines and, and hits some of the, the, the syllables in the middle of the sentence, which make it sound really just unusual and irregular. What's, what's also interesting is for a piece of casting that seems to be pretty crucial, 
James Horan, and I'm sure, you know, scanning down his CV, there are some bigger parts, but actually most of his video game parts are additional voices or uh, the narrator or, you know, pedestrians or uh, an innkeeper. He's not somebody who's played loads of headline parts. Now, I'm all for giving voice actors without the massively high profile the opportunities, but maybe there's a reason why normally he's doing... And I, I understand that all these extra parts, the supporting artists are really important. You know, we, we, we like to have good henchmen and stuff in our video games, but it seems like a, a bit of a leap to go from playing, uh, you know, he's got hundreds of credits here and they're nearly all these kind of background parts. And then suddenly he's playing like the major villain in a, in a high profile AAA, very heavily kind of script focused game. I would say that his voice is in keeping with the tradition of, the Metal Gear Solid series, and I actually appreciate that. It is, it is a franchise that's always blended the really camp with the super serious. So even with Metal Gear Solid 4, you've got the cheesy TV advert things at the start, which are super camp, but then there's some elements of that story that are incredibly deep. And I feel like if one of those things was missing, I wouldn't actually like the game as much as I do. And I've, I've felt that way about all the Metal Gear Solid. So I, as I'm getting to a moment, I'll be like, that is absolutely ridiculous. But then they're the bits I'm laughing about or smiling about at the end that I'll look forward to seeing mm. again the next time I go through it. And I feel like this game somewhat loses some of that element. Like this feels like the one where he's tried to take it all super serious. And we, we bar obviously the name Skullface, which is it's ridiculous. But I actually really quite like James Horan's delivery of the lines of Skullface. I, I really <laughs> yeah. enjoyed that as a character. So listening through the tapes and listening to him uh, going through the topics, I actually quite appreciated that. No, I like, got a no, I got a beef with that because like the problem is the the content in those tapes is some of the the darkest, nastiest yeah. stuff that he's ever put in. So yeah. when you've got a cartoon villain, mustache twirling, yeah, like literally a sort of hair's breadth away from going, <laughs> you know, on <laughs> tape, then it is it totally create it creates this weird sort of disconnect with it because you've got this obscene stuff going on on the tapes and him 100 yeah yeah and then him with his cartoon villain voice acting going on over the it it's just it's terrible i mean it's crap what i'm saying is that if it didn't have that to drive me away from how gritty and realistic it was actually going i wouldn't have enjoyed it as much because part of me thinks well i'm i'm all for games or any media trying to get that realistic mm-hmm. thing but not it, it doesn't feel like that's what metal gear solid needs to be and i feel like if it wasn't like yeah. that it would have stepped away from what I, think, I would say that metal gear solid was i don't want to go into the phantom pain stuff on this but this is you know it, it starts with Skullface, who i think is a deeply uninspired bad guy the, yeah. the problem was when we first came into sort of ground zeros so when the first trailers appeared and even when you played the game for the first time there's this sense of who the who is this guy because the name Skullface feels vague, deliberately vague, and you kind of think, is this somebody we know? Is this who is this yes. guy? Somebody from his past? Who is this? And there was all these theories flying around, and that's what kept it interesting until we got to the Phantom Pain, and then, well, yeah, you know, so he gets a sort of slight pass with that because there was still a big question mark over this character. But yeah, in terms of the performance, it's it's kind of laughable. It's kind of, and it's a shame because they've tried to sort of up the ante with stuff, some of which sits at odds with everything, to be honest. But 
But I feel like sitting at odds with stuff is what Metal Gear Solid's always been. Um, the voice actor claimed he had absolutely no knowledge that when recording mm. his lines that there was going to be some scenes of rape and forced sort of torture. He yeah. didn't have the whole script or... Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it just came way out of context. And, and mm. I've mentioned it before, like Kojima really has to take some responsibility for this. He's the one who sat there at the end of the day and said, you know, that is the performance that I'm looking for. Mm. I'd be interested to get an opinion on what the Japanese voice acting's like on this because I know I'm, yeah. I'm way ahead of you. So I had this yeah. exact same conversation <laughs> with you the other day about this, and 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 I made the the conscious effort to watch the opening cutscene in the mm-hmm. original trailer in Japanese. And what I've noticed, I mean, I speak no Japanese whatsoever, so I'm no authority on this. The the same cadence with which he's delivering it is going into the Japanese verbiage as well. And I don't mm. know if there's anything to read from that, or we can extrapolate anything from that. Yeah. Mm. Or maybe that makes more sense in the Japanese language. The emphasis on certain words has absolutely no meaning. So there's a line at the beginning, and here goes, he goes, how does it feel to be a man? And you're like, okay, okay, yeah, cool. That was uh, an interesting delivery. And then it leads on. But then I suppose you could look at examples like uh, Hugo Weaving in The Matrix, and obviously he's playing an AI or whatever, but people Mm. sort of going for these slightly out there wacky. We've certainly seen the likes of Nicolas Cage and people going for something crazy to kind of, I mean, but yeah, we don't, I guess, I mean, you've watched the video, Rich, I haven't. So we don't know sort of how much was his interpretation, how much was direction. Obviously, translation even with Kojima there would have come into it because Kojima doesn't have a lot of English, I don't think. So yeah. so, so James Haran, um, he sort of openly admitted that he had very little knowledge of who the character mm. was beyond what he was given in terms of uh, what was in the script. So, I mean, this is part of the problem with Skullface. There is no backstory and there's no sort yeah. of context with All which he exists of beyond presence that. Because he's not actually there, so there's no real... I was kind of almost, even though yeah. I'm not particularly into boss fights, and there are some sort of mini boss fights within these missions. I, I just thought actually Skullface should be there. Should be some sense that he might turn up or something. Yeah. There's there's no way to go from A to B. I guess like you, you know that he's a character that was from um uh goodness me I forgot which country it was. Is he the Hungary or I think it was Hungary? Yes, yeah. so it was Hungary, and he was um. Involved in a, a, a fire accident and yeah. his Yeah, but kind none of, of this main... is in this game. This is all from... Phantom I think it's Pain. in the Incel characters um, tape. I, I might be misremembering because I find it hard to disaggregate Phantom Pain from Ground Zeroes. But yeah, this so... is why I gave the spoiler warning for both because I think it's it, kind it, of unavoidable. It goes on that line. Yeah. I think there, there is a tape definitely where he mentions the life of having to live with scars yeah, he, in Ground he Zeroes. He talks about how he yeah. has no choices and then he talks, I think the one sort of... End sort of monologue, this is clarity. after yeah. the credits of the main mission, yeah. The defining character plot is that he um, was told that he should be left to die by a, a medic or a, a uh, um, a nurse of some sort in a hospital and that's how his entire character's formed so there's just nothing with which he can pull any information out he's still got a several thousand word entry on the uh, Metal Gear Solid wiki of course uh, which we won't <laughs> read out for obvious reasons uh, but we will talk more about uh, yeah, some of the controversial aspects this has been raised by our community Nei Mitch from the forum says story wise this really left a bitter taste in my mouth specifically the depiction of Paz's fate, which I found deeply, pointlessly disturbing. What was the purpose of seeing her internal organs during the bomb extraction scene, the twisted revelation that the villain had planted a bomb in her genitals, or the collectible audio tapes detailing her forced rape by Chico in captivity? It's pure, unearned shock value at best, vulgar misogyny at worst. 
I remember reading around the time of the game's release about how Kojima really wanted to push the limits of what we were accustomed to seeing in games, arguing that until developers did this, they would continue to be seen as a juvenile medium, not worthy of a seat at the high table alongside films and TV. And don't get me wrong, the medium of games absolutely should be free to explore the darkest places that the human, human imagination is capable of, but especially when your medium is interactive, presentation and context is absolutely everything. And I think in this instance, Kojima-san got in over his head and unfortunately undermined his own mission statement. I really know what his mission statement was. That's a problem. Well, his mission statement there as in trying to push the envelope, basically. Yeah. But of course, the, the, yeah. the key thing here is, and I, I, I can already hear some people saying, well, loads of horrible things happen to men in his games too. But of course, the point is that pretty much only horrible things happen to women. Like there's loads of men who have different amounts of agency and, and there's a lot of male characters who all play different parts and different roles. But generally, and I'm sure there are exceptions, but uh, I think you, you did a poster some years ago, didn't you, Jay? Well, kind yeah. of a meme-ish <laughs> thing where you sort of, you um, had images of all the female characters in the Metal Gear franchise or Metal Gear Solid part of the franchise up until now and pointed out their demise. And in every case... Uh, it's yeah, it's it's pretty shabby. His uh, Kojima's treatment of of female characters is kind of akin to Tarantino's in films. It's uh, and this is not. I don't I don't think that it sh it should be changed. He's it's his characters. He can write them how he wants. But also, we are free to criticize. What I would say is, I went in waiting for what was going to happen to Paz, not what was going to happen to Chico, mm. and I'd have been surprised if I'd have extracted both characters without something yeah. happening. I mean, Chico, I think, I let's, be, let's be fair, Chico's not had a great time. In fact, he's had a, hor he's really. had a horrific and horrendous time. Yeah, but... I'm pleased you mentioned that because that... I have a 12-year-old son, so I'm able mm. to kind of quite effectively uh, envisage that that sort of impact upon, uh, upon yeah. myself. And if you look at the way Chico's been handled, so he's got a deadbolt through his Achilles tendon. He mm. has a, a wound in his chest just by his heart that he's using as an audio jack. He's obviously quite... Deeply traumatized by mm -hmm. being forced to administer um, torture as well as being the recipient of torture. Mm -hmm. I think um, I think it, it bears sort of worth noting. I suppose that like there is more than just Paz in this instance, and uh, it, it's a shame that obviously what happens to Paz is kind of front and center because there's some pretty gnarly crap that happens to Chico at the same. Yeah, point. but it's off screen. I mean, it's on audio. Yeah. There's there's audio of it. And yeah. again, there's the obsession with kind of what what's the what's the most horrible thing we can do to the most sensitive parts of a woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a checkbox of miserable stuff that they can go yeah. through just to make sure that they capitalize on all of the worst defenses. I think um w one question that I have, and I don't have an answer to this, but it's a question mm -hmm. that's kind of sat with me for a while is. Is it mitigated by delivering it through audio tape as opposed to seeing it visually? Like, is that the most effective way to sort of get this point across? So does that kind of make it a bit more palatable? I would say that the audio is more impactful than how a game could show it. He would not have got past censorship had he tried to depict what was going on in those types on camera. Mm -hmm. It would have been, yes. it would have never got past the censors. You're talking about child rape. You're talking about a 25-year-old woman having sex with a 13-year-old boy. There's, there's scenes, not only are the two, so Chico and Paz, forced to have sex in front of Skullface and soldiers, but then there's a scene where Paz then comforts Chico by, and I'm using air quotes when I say comforts, but then they have sex 
anyway. Yeah. And she's the instigator, which, you know, in any way you, in any way you look at it, it's statutory rape. And so there's no way he could have put this in a visual format and gotten through censorship. So Kojima's got a reputation for mishandling these female characters through all these games. And there are times where you, you listen to the criticisms and you can choose, you know, what you do with it. But And I, I, I'm very wary of using the words misogyny because I think it's a word that gets thrown around a lot these days yeah. without, sort of, without the thought really as to what it means. But I've got to say, when you listen to what happens to this character, it's really hard to see what the point was other than just some kind of gleeful, mm. like you said earlier, tick box about how extreme we can go with this yeah. stuff. Yeah. And yeah, it serves so little purpose to the, if not any purpose to the story, other than to say, oh, they were, they were badly treated while they were in this camp. Yeah. Mm. We're not just talking like this is the darkest that a Metal Gear Solid game has gone. This is about as dark as any video game mm. has probably gone. Um, and that's saying something. Because there's, mm. there's obviously been games that have been held up on things. And that's why the voice acting of Skullface was the thing that pulled me away from this being a real thing. And, and that's why the audio mm. tapes are so impactful, because they're edited to sound real. Yeah. And without the context of the game being there, they could be real. You know what? It, it's that kind of strange thing about it. And, yeah. and it's kind of that comedic voice acting is the thing that draws you yeah. away. So. If you listen to the tapes in isolation from the game, so you're not playing the game as you're listening to them, as I did prior to playing this. So I played it. I listened to the tapes whilst playing it when I first went through it, and then I listened to the tapes in isolation prior to this recording. And I would say that listening to them in isolation to this recording was a lot harder hitting. Yeah, I agree. Because that pulls you away from the game, and it is really... I'm not saying that games shouldn't be afraid to broach that subject. This, this shouldn't be. It, as horrible as it is, you know, other mediums can do it's it. It's about how you do it. And... Yeah. But yeah. it's about how you do it's it. And it. I don't and think I'm... it was handled well. I suppose we should actually offer some compliments to the, the actors involved then if the tapes were effective yes. in their own right as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah, I would say that the voice acting of Paz and Chico was very, very good. And I'm pleased you, you, you brought up the, the nature of an audiobook call because the one thing that really stood out to me when I was listening to it on my way to work earlier this week is the use of Foley in some of this. So if you think about the, the scene in which they're talking about the insertion of the second bomb, there's some really gratuitous use of, I don't even know, it just sounds like body parts moving around and KY hmm. jelly being slid against other things. And it was just like, this is far too far and mixed in with that there's some there's some sounds of like whipping and the sound mm. of something connecting with flesh that just mm. makes it really really grotesque mm. yeah the imagination being you know that most powerful tool but yeah i mean obviously listener your mileage may vary you may have just you may have either found this funny or completely beyond the pale to the point that you wouldn't want to play the game anymore i know some people had a really really strong reaction to it for me it's kind of one of those things where i could very much have done without it i don't think it added anything to me it didn't i think there were other ways of making a point about institutions like guantanamo bay without kind of taking it down this kind of yeah sort of i guess the kind of horror that we associate with kind of some of the darker anime and stuff like that the yeah. you know where there there is a real um culture of kind of rape scenes and things like that um and you know and maybe that's that's poor form of me kind of trying to do the thing of you know kind of almost saying well it's cultural you know it's japanese kind of it's the way they do things that doesn't make it okay necessarily either 
but it is a relatively small like how big a part of your Metal Gear Solid Ground Zero's experience this is is going to depend on how much you play it and again that's not to say that um it's uh, it's not important how you feel about it but if you play if you end up playing to 100% and playing 50 hours of this it's going to be a relatively you know a small diluted moment if an impactful one if you just play through the main mission this is where it kind of ends you know i mean the 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 vagina bomb is the thing which kicks off the events which put phantom pain on that course isn't it because that's what that's how snake gets or boss sorry big boss gets burnt up and injured and ends up in the hospital and in a coma for nine years so it's you know she this this victim is a albeit one time you know double agent is a is a MacGuffin and her genitals are used to move on the plot by nine years by being by having explosives sewn into them I think that there's also a separate note that I don't, don't know to what extent anybody else has heard these there's the Paz diary entries as well yeah. which kind of go back to classic Kojima misogyny and I will use that word in this case because yeah. they are pretty yeah, pretty feckless, really. So there's a, a one in particular where Paz is having a, a sort of diatribe about a, a day where she wanted strange love to rub uh, suntan lotion on herself, and it's just groan-inducing, really. That is classic Kojima. Oh, it's a, yeah, it's a kind of lesbian scene going on, isn't there? Yeah. 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 Mm. Yes, yeah, all a bit, yeah, very much uh, kind of what you'd expect, but, yeah, it's kind of... But it does take. I mean, it, it, like you say, it is what you'd expect from his previous stuff, and mm. then, but it's just taken to a really strange level with this, and it's yeah. It's worth just, knowing that it's in there if if you haven't played it before, because I think for some people it will be just not something they want to support. I don't think you can even get all the tapes on a single playthrough, so you're given this stuff in a very piecemeal fashion anyway. Mm. And and then and then that kind of dilutes what these tapes are because you're listening to them in this sort of weird disjointed fashion if you're right. picking them up at the time. Yes, it's only when you've gone through the game like on all the different stuff to collect all the tapes uh, that you can hear everything that's in there. And mm. I think a lot of people would have missed this stuff. Yeah. I don't. I think there are many people who played this and never encountered any of this stuff. For sure. So prior to me playing the game, I was aware of these tapes because I, and only because I'd read a blog. Rhea Jenkins wrote a piece in 2014, and she had quite, a, you know, a, a, a sort of she wrote a, an article kind of condemning this stuff and mm. and the kind of cowardly sort of fashion it was put into the game and what it was actually depicted, and that you know she was also calling out the media in terms of how. You know they they get upset about sort of your bikini clad models in games, but this stuff kind of got swept under the carpet. But again, part of me alluding back to the conversation we had at the start, most of the reviewers probably never really encountered any of this stuff till yeah, long I think, after. Mm. I can agree. Yeah, I think that was kind of exactly the point that I was trying to make at the same point. Like, yeah, really, like how far, how deep do you have to dive to be able to extract this from the game? Yeah, mm. and I think it would have been a different story had this stuff been up front and center of the main game experience like if you'd encountered all this in a say a different format all given to you in the foot in the one and you know a single playthrough and you were forced to endure this stuff 
I think the reaction would have been far stronger, and I don't think he would have come out of it unscathed, to be honest. Mm, because, not. Like, you know, when you when you the word misogyny is, uh, you know, by definition is like you know a contempt for or ingrained prejudice against women. It's really hard not to agree with that where this stuff's concerned. Yeah, because like I think say, the defenders I mean, would say it was just all about showing the horrors of war in this situation, mm-hmm. but there's it's very specifically targeted at the one female character in the entire piece yeah. and the, the one thing that it really made me think is because the game turned into or at least certainly with the Phantom Pain turned into an open world style Metal Gear Solid game and there'd always been a little bit reined in so it gave freedom but it was a relatively linear path that you had that freedom in and Ground Zeroes is slightly more open and one of the takes we usually see with open world games is to tell the story through audio logs, written logs, etc. It's something that we see with mm-hmm. Assassin's Creed now, for example. We don't necessarily see all the cutscenes. We get a lot of information fed to us that we want to do. It's like anyone who's ever played The Elder Scrolls knows exactly what I'm saying. The story there, but there's a lot of deep story in the lore, in the books and stuff. And that's how the story is now told to us with the Metal Gear Solid Five games. But mm-hmm. I was thinking, if we were to go back retroactively and have those stories a lot of the stuff that could have been seen as quite dark but had that quirky comics style to it that we saw with a lot of the cutscenes throughout the other Metal Gear Solid games how dark would some of that stuff have been if it was just audio logs and I think a lot of the earlier games would have also come over as quite comedically and bar the whole child stuff in this one if it was in cutscenes would have probably come over a lot more comically because that's visually how Kojima directs his game. But because we lost that from the earlier games, it sort of, not that it necessarily doubled down on stuff, but it certainly comes across as a lot darker, a lot more gritty, a lot more realistic, and therefore a lot more offensive or needless. Funnily enough, this was going to be the podcast where we talked more about the game and less about the story. <laughs> well, I mean, that's its saving grace, really, because yeah. I think, you know... Yes. Y- like with all, like I can't defend this stuff at all. In fact, it leaves a really sour taste. Where, you know, knowing that it's there, it's the gameplay that is where is why I put twenty seven hours into this game. Yeah. Before we do wholeheartedly move on to that, though, I do want to ask, as regards to collecting the tapes, which are dotted throughout the various missions, including some in the. The first mission you get mm. you get your first extra one for actually depositing chico in in the rescue chopper so as i understand it because i haven't actually collected all of these but as i understand it if you want the full the fullest picture you can get of what's going on during this game that's that's what you need to do so you do need to keep yeah. going in going back collecting more tapes fulfilling yeah. different yeah. criteria what what are the what are those kind of key things that you get from these that you don't get from just playing the game like a normal person? <laughs> backstory, yeah, yeah. yeah. Backstory. Just, con- just context throughout. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. what actual, li- literally, what actual story beats and things? What would I know that I don't know if I'd if I'd gone through if I had the extra? So I can take this one. So so what it does is it describes why Chico's in Cuba in the first place, why Paz is also in Cuba in the first place, why uh, Skullface is trying to extract information from both Chico and Paz, and incidentally that's because he wants to know the location of Snake and Cypher. And it also describes some of the um, his plans moving into uh, Peace Walker. Uh, sorry, uh, the Phantom Pain, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Okay. And if you if you don't have that, I mean, you can probably piece together a sort of yeah. skeleton or a fishbone of what's happening, but nothing that fleshes it out. And I think um, those tapes are critical. I, I kind of alluded to this at the beginning. Those tapes are critical in establishing a sense of time and where you are, because there's a lot of uh, emphasis on some of the politics of the time yeah. and what's happening in, in sort of um, developing countries in uh, Latin America and South America area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but of course, for most people who even who install this game, they'll probably at least get to the point of extracting Paz, if nothing else, and you at least get the big ending cutscene and the preview for the Phantom Pain, and presumably uh, something on your save file which indicates that you at least did that part of part of the Ground Zeroes experience building up to it. Presentation-wise, then we've already said the Fox Engine an engine that was uh, developed for and works perfectly well on previous gen systems but didn't didn't get too many outings i guess in that <laughs> on that in the end well let's have a fairly brief simple conversation about the presentation so we're 5 years on probably most of us are playing it on at least a ps4 if not one of the half step up consoles rather than the previous gen machines it looks pretty nice on my ps4 pro fast frame rate very some very nice lighting effects it still looks quite video gamey i would say like it yeah. doesn't look as naturalistic as some environments in some games it's not quite red dead redemption 2 obviously that was some years before mm. uh perhaps not even quite the witcher 3 in terms of actually looking like a real place but it has the usual extraordinary attention to detail that you associate with kojima productions and the sort of glassy smooth kind of uh, look and feel to everything a lot of lens flare as well a lot of jj yeah. yeah. abrams flare. levels of lens flare yeah. i think the uh, video game look is probably intentional mm-hmm. um and the reason i say no that gray. is because the fox engine yeah. in screenshots for pro evolution soccer yeah. and pt for example does have that moment where you look at it and you go is that real or is that actually a <laughs> game and it's that it's that snapshot where you're not entirely sure. And Metal Gear Solid 5 and, uh, well, both Metal Gear Solid 5s um, never have that impact. So I think that's probably an artistic decision, which I do actually appreciate. And I've, I felt that way about Metal Gear Solid 4. And, of course, that it, it goes along the line of how many times have we ever gone, games can never get better looking than this. And you see it, and then obviously things iterate and iterate on. Um, Ground Zeroes looked unbelievable for a 2014 game it really did and it still looks pretty good now but it's always looked like a video game and it has that metal gear solid look and mm. i i really like that visual style that the metal gear solid games have always had i think it has a better run with the phantom pain as because i think with that game that, that you really get to see what the engine can do a little mm. bit more than say what ground zeros does ground zeros is very constrained with the the sort of design of it and stuff, but I think it, it, you know, seeing the effects like the rain, the glistening, the wetness that comes with that, and the lighting and, and the, you know, working all together, it is. I I still find it incredible. I was genuinely blown away by it the first time yeah. through, and you're like, okay, wow, you know, it's like it it's the detailing and everything, which is something we're kind of getting used to now. I mean, you know, we're playing game in in 2019. Everything's got an insane amount of detail. Yeah, you know? but it really it's just, does. You know, when we like when when this was first revealed, sort of like 
2013, it was that sort of we were just on the cusp of the, the current generation and it was just, you know, seeing that this is what the games are going to be on those systems was kind of a mm. thing to behold at the time and i think it's you know it still carries weight but it's like it does yeah so so for me i think one of the things that really stood out to me is the the character animation and i think yeah. like still to this day i find the 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 concept of snake going into a prone position from a standing <laughs> position so yeah. like liquid smooth and the way that he can sort of rotate on his back and maneuver around like that <laughs> yeah. that's beautiful to watch the only exception to that, I think, is the running animation, which feels like it's kind of keyframe captured and mm. then repeated yeah. uh, back to front. And it also doesn't help the fact that it sounds like a one-man band when he's running. Yeah, I was going to say it, that. It's strange, yeah. The, the foley, uh, we're already on to sound, that's fine. The foley in the game is, as usual, you'd expect from Kojima Productions, largely stellar. Like they, Going back to Metal Gear Solid 2, I would say, like they've always knocked it out of the park with going the extra mile with actually recording mm. like proper new individual sounds in the right circumstances and, and producing them just so. But yeah, his running sound in this game, it just sounds like a soggy tramp or something. It sounds like a man carrying a load of tin pots, I think. <laughs> it's, so, it's so strange. It's so video game, yeah. I think. is Everything else, you know, it's got the sneaking and crawling through the underbrush and you know, hopping over fences, etc. all fantastic. And then when he's running, you're like, everyone would hear him. <laughs> yeah. Like, every watchtower would be on him in, a, in an absolute heartbeat. Yeah, yeah, definitely my first few kind of tours around Camp Omega were much more probably tentative than they needed to be because I was assuming, like, it, you know, there's, there's lots of kind of tool tips from Miller and stuff saying... Make sure you only do loud things when the lightning's, you know, because you, you, deliberately the main mission is played in a, in a thunderstorm and, and rain. So you've got lots of kind of audio cover, as it were, which is great and fun and, you know, got that to it. But, yeah, I was just assuming that if I just walked anywhere sounding like that, everyone would, you know, just the, the whole base would just be a sea of exclamation marks. <laughs> but it turns out that actually you can uh, you can get pretty close to people. And there's this uh, new new to this installment feature which is a, a bit more gamey i guess it reminds me of um splinter cell conviction was it was that the shooty one yeah that's where they started where, with the, where the sort yeah. of yeah. you know bullet timey kind of thing mm. but stealth bullet time so it's all about you can actually save yourself an alert status by reacting quickly enough and you know doing a headshot and stuff now for somebody who is a very impatient stealth player like me, that is a godsend. But you can turn it off if you want to be a purist about it, which I appreciate. And it does impact your rating at the end if you're one of those yeah. people. Yes. Like, like James. For sure. <laughs> Mr. Ghost. Yeah. Uh, his social phobias are that bad. He doesn't even want people to know he was there in video games. It's true. Uh, and music-wise, so obviously we've got, uh, we've got the Gregson Williams back on we've also got ludwig forsell and uh akihiro honda i'm not sure what honda san contributes but i suppose the most striking thing feel free to talk about the the general score but uh the game kind of has a theme song it's been appropriated uh, it's a early 70s piece by ennio morricone and joan Baez called here's to you as a tribute to italian anarchists nicolo sacco Bartolomeo Vanzetti, who were killed by the USA in the 1920s. Basically, it's largely understood that they were 
they were killed because of their political beliefs not because they were they were framed basically they were they were framed and this this very uh, repetitive refrain is uh, is in honor of them um it's i think it's it's a stirring and you know sad piece of music it's by Ennio Morricone and Joan Baez for goodness sake i don't quite understand it yeah it it doesn't really land so i've tried to understand this myself so i'm not an american i'm a a british person who lives in the the armpit of uh, rural (laughs) northumberland and as far as i'm aware they were killed because of their their belief in in anarchy and i think it was a sort of a political movement to try and get rid of them so so Mm -hmm. with that in mind how are we to draw a connection between what's going on in in ground zeros and right the the closest that i if you yeah. haven't heard the tapes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I guess what they're doing is they're saying, look, we we can frame you and implicate you mm. in this issue and then get rid of you, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's well, not the most there's, compelling there's a point where there. Skullface is saying that the, he references those two and they were used as scapegoats by the political system in the States. Yeah. And so the I, I read this, and I'm sure there are multiple ways to read this, but I that's his kind of what he's doing to Big Boss. He's going to set them up Mm -hmm. and destroy them and use them to push his own agenda, you know, because he's got his, you know, he has his reasons. It it kind of, again, it kind of falls flat. You feel that there's some kind of big point to this stuff, but it it doesn't land. Never land. But what it does do is it sets it in a, like a a time. So you you can... Yes derive yeah. from yeah. this song that it's set in the 70s and then you can also make a distinction between what's going on in that political landscape at the same point and again it comes right to that issue that you're required to do well there's required reading and some sort of prior knowledge and context that you've got to extract from outside of what's going on here to be able to put it into yeah into some kind of meaning as well at the same point mm, i just i don't know like <laughs> i'm conflicted because I really like the sound of it in the game. It makes the game sort of, it elevates the importance of the game. But I also feel mm-hmm. like actually the the story behind the song is so much sadder and deeper and, and more apposite than anything Kojima comes up with it, with this yeah. rather schlocky yeah. and deliberately kind of controversial. It does, it feel, again, it feels a bit unearned. It's like, how do we, how do we add some import to this? Let's get this you know this kind of amazing piece of music from this film from the 19th from the early 1970s well it's a protest song really isn't it yeah 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 and it's used to good effect i mean in that scene where you're listening to it as you're driving through the base which was used in one of the early trailers it's pretty well yeah it's it's a bit it's it feels a bit more tarantino uh, appropriation of music than scorsese say and i think it is a great piece of music it's very catchy I can kind of understand what Kojima's trying to get at in cottoning onto something. Unfortunately, that something is far more important than the game itself. Mm. But then, as Jay said earlier, Kojima kind of has his favourites in Hollywood, and part of me thinks he would have probably just really liked to use an Ennio Morricone yeah, song. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, special shout-out to the fact that uh, it was my Chopper's theme, so Morpho did come in to the sound of that, which yeah made me laugh, at least. Yes, 
there's a lot of things that offset the kind of or distract you from what the point of he's trying to do be it tapes be it the fact that chico's got a walkman about sort of four years before they were ever released right. <laughs> yeah. you know it's like it's you know it's stuff like that which i feel is like you're, you're doing all this stuff where you're spending it in 1975 but 1975 mm. is just a number to you it has mm. no real purpose beyond that you've got technology yeah. that simply doesn't exist Onto the actual bread and butter then, the gameplay. K-Sub-Zero 1000 says, Ground Zeroes probably remains the game's mechanical highlight, perfectly showcasing the brilliant enemy AI and condensed level design of Camp Omega while leaving plenty of room for strategy and experimentation, all within a neat little package with enormous replay value. Diving out of the way of an inquisitive spotlight, waiting for a patrol to pass, sneaking up behind a guard and taking him out without being spotted, and shaving a precious few seconds off your flawless ghost run has quite simply never felt so good in this game. I assume uh, it means in the 3D Metal Gear Solid kind of series. So yeah, apart from his squelchy footsteps and tin pan knees, uh, <laughs> how... How did you guys feel about actually playing the moment to moment uh, of Camp Omega and uh, the the running about, the hiding, the shooting, the holding people up, etc.? Do you think it's uh, if it's moved on from Metal Gear Solid Four, which was obviously six years before this, uh, and does it still hold up five years down the line? I think it does. I think from four to to Ground Zeroes, I think it's the movement within Snake, the ability to to prone to roll. To, to sort of have a bit more navigation while you're in a sort of fix that started to come in in four um and it's you know it it, it it's just refined in this and i think it was just yeah the sort of flexibility of using cover or looking for cover and using uh, yeah i mean this is where it excels the story mm, whatever but the this is what kept me playing this is this is where the meat of the game was for me in the the experimentation as well going through that level and seeing this this quite condensed map but the flexibility it allows you to go through and get from point a to b and all the stuff that you could discover as you're doing that you know oh can i go in that door yeah oh i can pick it rock oh wow there's ammo and all kinds of stuff in here okay cool you know it's all that kind of thing and then listening to like random guards through the binoculars because it enhances their audio so you can hear them mm. talk and stuff like that that sort of stuff this is what I I get from these games. It's just ah yeah. What what Jay's saying there is kind of how I felt about the game. It grew exponentially bigger as an experience than it yeah. than just the ninety minutes to ten minutes timeline. Yes. Um, and the more I discovered, the more I thought that this game actually felt massive mm-hmm. um, in terms of its scale. So Metal Gear Solid Four did a really good job of offering an action experience dressed up as a stealth game. So it had moments where you could do stealth, but for the most part, it felt action. Um, Metal Gear Solid Five felt like the first time that Kojima and Co. had taken a step back and actually looked at what its peers were doing really well. Those obvious suggestions being Splinter Cell and Hitman, which have done a very good job of stealth and not necessarily a great job of always blending them together. So... When you do speedruns of Ground Zeroes, they have that same thrilling effect of a ghost run that something like Hitman Blood Money did. Um, mm. Or getting out of trouble in a tight situation, the, like Splinter Cell Chaos Theory is probably a prime example. Um, particularly the lighthouse level in the lightning and the rain really reminded me um, of Ground Zeroes, or Ground Zeroes really reminded me mm. of that. 
and I, I feel like it actually looked at what its competition did well and and rather than being smug or arrogant about it and this is Metal Gear Solid it actually embraced those theories and brought a game that was had a, had a fantastic amount of different elements to it and approaches to it so it brought the action slowdown elements that you like mm-hmm. Leon for example but it it brought a tight knit interweaving camp that you could sneak in and around of tents and it had a real grounding and a sense of reality so it's obviously a fake um yeah. camp but to it could to all intents and purposes be real so you see little pieces like notes left on the side and and little bags and you see the jeeps driving around and the watchtowers are looking around and the guards are moving around naturally in those things you see them swapping around with each other on rotors you know you can open a gate to distract them on one side and run around the other and it it just opens up into all these experiences and you start manipulating that system and the system gives back what you put into it and that's the approach i had when i was with playing with my friend it was if we do this, does this happen? And then when it did, you're like, whoa. So you start putting these techniques together yeah. and you feel like you're not necessarily playing it in the same way that anyone else might have played it. That And that that's always an amazing experience. It's like when you play a huge open world game that an area crafts you and part of you thinks it's ridiculous, but another voice in the back of your mind goes, no one else might have ever seen this. And 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 that that is just, it puts a smile on my face just thinking about that moment-to-moment gameplay that Ground Zeroes absolutely yeah. smashed. It was superb. For me, there's a, a sort of a bit of a bell curve in this game in that at this point, for me, I mean, I'm, I'm about 30 hours into the game, which is very little when compared to some of the forum uh, posters. It, it's quite a, a sort of um, a restrictive game. Like, I have a very prescribed way of going about doing this, and it's very tightly choreographed. So getting from A to B in, in Ground Zeroes, the mission, for example... There's very little to do. Like, there's no shooting of. I don't shoot a gun. I don't really do a great deal. It's just very, I suppose, efficient. But really, it's what I have to remind myself is that the extra missions are where I'm able to extract a little bit more um, versatility out of the Fox engine and what Kojima's trying to do with the location at the same point. I, I mean, it's interesting you brought uh, Carl brought up Hitman because what this reminded me of um, was the sniper mission for Hitman Absolution before this came out. You look at it on the surface, you think, well, I've just got to shoot that one guy. Okay, bang, done. (laughs) Right, what, that's it? (laughs) And then you you start looking at the area and you start seeing things and then you start, oh, I wonder what I can do if I shoot that. Oh, wow, okay. Um, Okay, what about this? This is how Ground Zeroes is to me. Initially, it feels very simple, and then suddenly it starts like opening up, and you start seeing possibilities. Stealthy sandbox. Yeah, so it's like the fact that there's a truck. So if you can get under that hangar just next to the storeroom, there's a truck. You jump into the back of the truck, it takes you all the way to the base when it eventually drives off. So it drives you straight into pretty much where you need to go without doing a damn thing. Like, and but it's the fact that it's there. And the fact that you can uncover this stuff, it doesn't tell you. It, 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 it lets you experiment. And I think this is where this stuff excels. You know, it's just like, yeah. oh, man. This is where Kojima has always been for me. This is where his absolute strengths are. Like his yeah. desire to let, this goes all the way back to the MSX games, the desire to let the player experiment and be rewarded from that experimentation, mm. both in terms of detail and player agency and ability to, yeah, make it feel like you've, like Carl says, discovered your own secrets or discovered your own techniques or whatever. He puts in so many kind of functions that you don't even necessarily, like maybe, maybe you'll get a call over the, 
the uh, the iDroid or whatever or in your ear whatever it is to say yeah. why don't you try doing this but actually you know I've never I've never poured through the digital manual on this game although uh, mm-hmm. there's a nice little nod in the Deja Vu mission to to the Metal Gear Solid uh, look at the back of the case thing yeah um, and my, the other thing I wanted to say about the design philosophy of Ground Zeroes is this is something we've said a few times recently mainly when we've been covering things like old racing games. Um, but I know it's uh, it's resonated for a few of our listeners. It's like the games that only had three racetracks. You've got three racetracks like Sega Rally, like Virtua Racing, and they are or Ridge Racer one racetrack with three variations. And but that racetrack, what a racetrack! Like the, ver- the every curve, every corner, every every section is just so absolutely designed within an inch of its life and it feels like that's what they were able to do with camp omega that perhaps and as i say i haven't played phantom pain yet but that i suspect would have been impossible to do on a much much larger scale in that way Mm. it's like all his games have done this and i think this is where i this is why i spent dozens of hours playing them i mean the moment you realize in metal gear 2 that if you use the dart gun to shoot the radio in the back, you know, mm. on the back of the soldier, that he can't call in for reinforcements. It was like that yeah. became a thing. Then every guard had oh, yeah. to have his radio <laughs> disabled, you know, because. But it was just the fact that they did that, and that first time, the first time that you ever see this stuff is like, what? You know, yeah. these are moments, and perhaps Ground Zeroes doesn't quite have that level of like, oh my god, moment. Like, no, we've just, seen a lot of it before. Yeah, but. You can still you you still feel that the, like you said this is where he excels. This is what he yeah. this is what his games are known for, and yeah, they make you want to explore every little nook and cranny to see yeah. if there's something hidden away because quite often there might be. Yeah. <laughs> so you're probably going to find yourself paralyzed by choice when playing the Phantom Pain, but there's one or two things mm. that is in Ground Zeroes that you know it's quite interesting world building stuff. So for example, if you were to take a, a soldier who's been incapacitated bolt through the achilles tendon and you put him near um sorry a refugee or uh yeah yeah whatever it is and you put him next to a soldier the soldier will radio in for help and they'll call and they'll try and discuss exactly what to do with these people and ultimately end up executing them and have a discussion about exactly what the prison is doing there and and Hmm. what to do and i think there's some really interesting things to um extrapolate about what the relationship is with these soldiers or Hmm. these um prisoners that's the mm. word i'm looking for mm-hmm. yeah interesting and i think it's the fact that the game follows a set of rules so it doesn't fall into nasty gaming tropes it's the kind of um appreciation for the player in that world in the same way that something like a dark souls does it and i think that's what resonates with those players that there's a set of rules that the game does not deviate from one of the things that i'm a big fan of is there's 40 enemies there's 40 people on camp you can spot yeah. them you can mm-hmm. eliminate them there's never more than 40 mm. so you can do the manipulation of if i can drive a backup call over there then over on the other side there's now less guards mm-hmm. and you can kind of play that system um and that's something so setting an alarm off somewhere else was always a good thing or the fact that you start off with a rifle with a silencer but you don't always have that silencer it'll blow after so many bullets mm. so the next time you replay you think i've maybe got i'm not entirely sure how many bullets it is but roughly 10 bullets that i can actually fire to take out maybe cameras without raising an alarm at all but if i push it beyond there i no longer can do that and my gun's going to set off sounds and just having that playground with that set of rules and and learning that yourself because the game doesn't 
it gives you just enough to set you off and then you discover the rest. Yeah. yeah. But it never deviates from that. You never feel cheated. And maybe it's partly due to the fact that they've got, you know, as technology improves, they get to play with things like the AI a bit more. So like if you take out a, a one of the cameras with your pistol, you'll hear a radio transmission saying one of our cameras is down. Somebody go check it out. And then you'll get guards come to look at it. Now that's your, you know, you can take those guards out and then they all then radio in saying, we haven't heard from the guard. Yeah. So we'll send somebody yeah. else in. So, and it's the, that stuff, that stuff is where you're like, you know, the, I suppose that's where the surprise comes in sometimes because you think, okay, I'll grab that guard, knock him out, kill him, whatever, hide his body in a skip or around these crates or whatever. And then it's just, and then suddenly you hear the radio call saying, we haven't heard from him, send somebody else in. And then, and then it's like, oh crap, you know. And then there's all that sort of stuff, which mm. is constant. It constantly keeps you on your toes when you're playing it because you never know what to expect the first time through. And it's only yeah. like repeatedly when it become where you become comfortable with knowing the systems. But I think always that first sort of virgin playthrough is the. It's always the most exciting because you're you you want to be you're waiting for those surprises. You know yeah. that it's coming with his games, and and the, it's always. You know, those are the moments that I, I look forward to with a Kojima game. And it's it's not just the broad strokes that are there. Nah, the, it is all. the little yeah. touches that mm. I absolutely love. So um, an example is I uh, knocked a guard out. So that there's, a, there's a red security door that you can go through in the far far side of the um, landing pad area. Mm. I went through there. I shot a guard. I took a camera out originally, then I shot a guard with a trank dart and left him on the floor and ran round the other side to where you can open a gate. Um, and I heard a guard making a call over the over the game because you hear the calls. But then as I got nearer, I could hear that guard making the same yeah. call. So I could actually hear his voice near yes. me and the call yeah, over yeah. the game. And I'm like, mm. that is that guard making that call. Yeah, it comes out of and your... It, uh... it, it, it's so if you're great. on PS4, it comes out of the pad as well as yeah. oh, yes. which is nice. Uh, occasional use of the uh, the inbuilt speaker there. <laughs> yeah, uh, super user from the forum says I ended up playing forty nine hours of Ground Zeroes. Normally, I play Metal Gear Solid more for the story, but the gameplay has always been strong too. For this one, I was utterly disappointed in the story, but the gameplay kept me going. Superb graphics, controls, and incredibly fluid AI and masterful level design. It's so brilliant how many situations are possible and all the ways you can de-escalate after you've been spotted or indeed that you can escalate and that that's a perfectly valid choice. I could go on, but imagine a game full of this and then it ends. It's still the best Metal Gear Solid 5 level, but it's just so little. It is, however, full of promise in how diverse your options and approach can be. So yeah, the main mission is the Ground Zeroes 1. You can finish it in minutes if you're good. If you want to do everything, as I say, you can spend a couple of hours on it, maybe. But the key thing is that that's just the beginning of your Metal Gear Solid 5 Ground Zeroes experience. Um, if you want to play on and get more out of the package and get your 25 quid's worth or your 30p of PlayStation Plus's worth or whatever, you get uh, six other key missions. Originally, I think Deja Vu was PS exclusive and Jamais Vu was Xbox exclusive, but they both got dropped into the alternative versions, which I think was, I don't know if that was always going to happen or whether it was just a, a demand thing, but good. Uh, they're both quite different. Now, I can't remember them all individually, but anything 
to be said uh, about the the first few we've got eliminate the renegade threat is that the kind of gunship one where you actually just blast out of a helicopter no uh, i think that's no oh, no these are the find two dodgy so operatives two, yes uh, enemies right. yeah, 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 yeah so yeah. there was a, a sniper team mm. um that had been doing sort of just taking people out not so legally um yeah, the eyes and, and you, the it, I forgot what it is. The eye and the finger. That's right. You have to uh, you have uh, to investigate one to spot and one to pull the trigger. Yeah, and 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 yeah. the iDroid gives you a picture of them both, mm. and then it says they're in this area. But if you don't get there quick enough, it'll say the enemy has moved, and we, then after a time, it'll say we think they're in this area. Yeah. But you've still got to find those enemies. Yeah, and if they get wind of you, and if the camp gets wind of you as a whole, they might actually leave the area altogether. I think. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I like um destroy the anti air emplacements because it's right. the kind of purest form of like choreography in that level to do with like taking all three of those anti well, there's four in total, but any of the f- three of the four anti yeah. air encampments in a sort of choreographed way and then trying to align yourself in such a way that you can take out the APC at the end. I think it's just the the most elegant kind of dis- like example of how to, to play that game efficiently and effectively. I had a nice uh, recollection of the Vulcan Raven battle from Metal Gear Solid by lobbing grenades at the uh, at the APC. Because <laughs> uh, actually, you can just go and get a rocket launcher, but, you know, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, you got to find the rocket launcher. Yeah, or, yeah. or C4, yeah. Uh, I use the, um, yeah. Yeah, one of the anti-air gun placements so actually does quite a good job on it. Uh, you're a bit of a sitting target then, aren't you? Yeah, discreet, yeah. Jay. <laughs> yeah, but that also works on every other guard as well. <laughs> it's just everything that moves is uh, that situation. I don't actually point. know if you just go in on the, say, the main mission, Ground Zeroes, and just go in on a full third-person shooter game. Does yeah, that just, just go uh, harm on everything. Does that work? Um, uh, it, yeah, does. it does, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it yeah. does. Yeah, because you've got a, a limited number of targets to take out, yeah. so it's just... I've done that. I've just gone mm. through and killed everybody and then just literally walked out the base. And it's yeah. like. I definitely knocked everyone out on my uh, on my two hour yeah. game earlier. Or I say knocked everyone out. I think eventually I couldn't find any more tranquilizers. So I just killed a few, you know, mm. as you do. I, you know, I do feel slightly bad about it. But, you know, once you've once you've done two or three, it starts to starts to hurt less. Uh, um Classified intel is just finding some docs, isn't it? Um, hidden away yeah. in the yeah in the environment somewhere. So which one? Well, I'm remember. I'm definitely remembering doing like a mission where I was hanging out of a helicopter, just blasting the ground. And that's and intel operative. That's intel. Yeah, I think okay. that's the one yeah. where you rescue the Kojima. Well, Kojima in the game. Of course, of course. But then you have to kind of hold everybody off. Yes. At the end, yeah. he's try. He's made his way to the. He uh, crashes his car, doesn't he? Yeah, that's it. And yeah. then you've got to basically shoot everything from the helicopter. Yes. Yeah, and and for S rank you have to do it all with, I believe, non-violent. So you've got one pistol to do the entire game with. I think that was the one that took me quite a while to to kind of yeah. get. Yeah, through. with that one, it's like you've got to be, you've got to, you've got to memorize where everything is because you've got to sort of catch them just as they're coming into view and into range. You've got yeah. to hit them straight away, and it's just, yeah, it just yeah. takes repeat, rinse and repeat until you've got it down pat with that stuff. Mm. And, and then trying you- to do that down the sights is is near on impossible because of the sort of um like inertia of the helicopter that's taking you from me to be ouch yeah so each time you finish any one of these you normally unlock some either some extra stuff that you've collected or uh, some different weapons or the 
just uh, mission conditions so you can go back in play it on a harder difficulty or go for a, a time attack on how quickly you can spot every enemy in the base and stuff like this and you get ranked on multiple sort of criteria at the end of every single mission you do so for for score chasers and ghost players and stuff like that there's actually quite it's fairly in-depth scoring system that you could definitely sort of quite easily look into maxing out your your approach to to the way of playing and i guess the i don't know like my best rankings are b or something but i assume it goes up to at least s if not triple s i don't know yeah that's right just s rank okay just s rank yeah i'll, ne- I will never get s rank, rank. <laughs> yeah and, and for the s ranks you get a load of uh weaponry so i think you yep. get a sniper rifle with no silencer you get a, a, a machine gun with an undersilent grenade launcher and uh a hand cannon but it's one of those things to achieve an s rank you kind of have to be very effective in in stealth of so course. it feels kind yeah, of superfluous yeah. at that point really one. to have that yeah it gives you a reward that offers you the complete opposite <laughs> yeah, yeah, experience yeah, the one that you've had to undertake to get yeah. there um but i think then that's backed up with trophies and achievements for doing all of the missions mm. with an s rank as well so that's you know if you're into that that's even further uh, longevity yeah there's definitely a, a great set of uh, achievements or trophies on this for completionists yeah and, and full achievement is is a pain in the butt because it yeah. requires you to do every mission at least twice yeah. so on easy mode do it twice once to unlock the challenges and then another time yeah. you do the challenges mm. then you have to do it again yeah. on um difficult mode as well at the same point and i think there might be some requirement to do yet more missions than that it, it might be hidden behind a, a sort of 25 mission i can't quite remember what it is we it's could call that padding that, would that be it feels a bit more quality than to call it padding yeah. um i think it's but well, it's so there if it, you it, want it, it, though, it is no it? but i mean the, couldn't they let you access stuff like the harder mode from the beginning rather than make it possibly yeah. i think what what's bizarre about it is that and this is the same it goes the same for the phantom pain to achieve an S rank in hard is practically very little difference in doing that and easy as well at the same point. So when you're capable of doing one, you're, you're also capable yeah. of doing it in the other. Right. I think yeah. the only difference is the sort of um, uh, the, the sensory awareness of some of the guards yes. and you, you remove that ability to... Time to death, I think, is a bit quicker yeah. as well, isn't yeah. it? And you don't have the ability to, to sort of take a, a sort of last sort of moment shot. It doesn't zoom into slow-mo where you can take that hit. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, but I think challenges obviously been another thing. I know it's like tag all forty enemies and yeah. you know little tasks like that to do. Um, mm-hmm. They're the kinds of little things that I really enjoy doing. It'll give me. Sometimes I think I'll go on, but I don't really want to go and challenge all the guards or go and rescue the uh, Paz and Chico. And then I've got like a mission like spot all forty guards. I'm like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that allows me to approach it even more differently. Yeah. Yeah, there's some arbitrary ones like immobilize X amount of guards at the same point, but they don't carry you towards the achievement at the end, which is lucky. Yeah. Right, right at the beginning of the game, old Skullface carelessly throws a load of sewn patches out of a helicopter. Nine of them. Uh, you can collect all those, and that's what unlocks your final couple of missions. Deja vu and jamais vu. So deja vu is the one that even if people aren't into the series anymore but have fond memories of the ps1 game which is a lot of millions of people uh, that this is the game that basically does the fan service thing <laughs> and the uh the nostalgia thing gives you a set of photographs to recreate which will bring back memories you get some nice uh, legacy music and some the camps dotted with logos of all the other games in the series and various other nice things uh, any other 
cool unlocks and easter eggs within this or outside of this yeah so so within that the there's um emblems or the logos of the original games and you can use one of the machine guns that has a light attached to it to yeah. sort of uh, as a black light a little bit like what Skullface does on the xof logo on one of the choppers and then there's a a little i guess a voice line from kojima saying uh that the ones that he didn't direct weren't very good, and the ones that he did were. And um, he thanks you for for playing that. And then I think the only other one of note, certainly in my opinion, is um, if you play the uh, Deja Vu missions with the classic skin, yeah. uh, it replaces some of the uh, prisoners that are mm. kind of captive, held captive with some of the notable figures from um, Metal Gear series. So Dark got the Chief. Dark Chief. Yeah. Kenneth Baker. Is, it? is he also Sigint, I think, in Metal Gear 3? Yeah, and yeah, if you bundle those guys into the chopper, does that do anything for you, either score Yeah, no or... idea. No. Pretty not. not. Doesn't unlock anything in Phantom Pain or anything? Not that I'm aware of. There's very little sort of Passover, with the exception of the, um, the Grand outfit. Zero's outfit. Yeah, which is actually surprisingly good in, in the Phantom Pain as well. Uh, I was hoping there would be more crossover from your save file from this to Phantom Pain, but it's minimal, is it? Uh, yeah, but um, don't sleep on it. The the sneaking suit from peace, um, excuse me, from Ground Zeroes is yeah. really effective because it yeah. sort of muffles your your foot signals. And what are the conditions actually... for that? No, I think you just have to have a save file. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think they could have done more with that, to be honest. Now, the thing is, there is a reason. Like when you say about Captain more carry over, there is a reason why it doesn't, and that's kind of interesting. Okay, but... you can say it. No, because that's a, it's a massive. Well, no, I don't. You have. No, I'm played, with you there. Yeah, yeah I think no, I think I'm, it's no, okay, important no. to kind of distinct, like create a distinction between the two games, really, because not not so much for the story, but just because like they're they're, they're quite different. They're quite distinct in mm. both the the tone and the the sort of what's there, the mise en scène, where they're set, mm. all that sort of good stuff. Yeah, nice. And finally, there's Jamais Vu, which is uh, another little nice little twist in that uh, you find out when you, pretty much when you arrive and you finish the cutscene, you play as a uh, good old Raiden, albeit uh, he doesn't take his sword in this case, he takes his gun, but it is the Raiden from the future, the phone, <laughs> they basically they just say, yeah, we're going to, this this is this one's too much for you, so we're going to send this super, sol- super cyborg soldier we've got from the future, and they dump, riding in and he kind of skates around like bayonetta on electric heels and he shoots these body snatchers yeah that's pretty much about it really isn't it i think the only (laughs) thing of note is that you have to be able to discern between which of them is a snatcher and it has the the snatcher theme on as well and there's a a sort of um a pretty interesting battle towards the end that kind of throws everything at you like ham just everything there you need to kind of defend yourself and you've got a, a certain amount of equipment a certain amount of guns and you just have to try and Go nuts, yep. Of course, yeah. So Snatcher fans also catered for, as they often are, in Metal Gear Solid. Ado Potato from the forum says, Having played a little of the earlier entries in the series, I decided I wasn't buying what the MGS series was selling. The staccato rhythm of play alongside the tedious, incomprehensible storytelling just ground me down. I got ground zeros on games with gold, however, and decided I'd give it a crack to see how the series had developed in the intervening years. I found the storytelling as tedious and incomprehensible as ever, possibly more so. But the gameplay this time around was buttery smooth. Straight away I was taken with the, with the freedom to approach the objectives in any manner I chose. 
Snake had a nicely designed ability set which was intuitive and fun to use, wed to the wonderfully layered systems of the game. I can see why those who paid full price for this at launch may have felt a pang of regret when the credits rolled after a couple of hours, but I also feel like this short game offers a real masterclass in replayability. The presentation is also simply jaw-dropping, everything from the textures, animation and sound design, right down to the HUD simply oozes class. So says Edo Potato. Andrew Elmore, also with us, says, The reason I kept playing Ground Zeroes was because I'd never encountered anything like it. I'm a big fan of games like Far Cry 2, Hitman 2016, Breath of the Wild, etc. because intersecting systems that interact with each other are one of my very favourite qualities in a game. The Phantom Pain went on to expand this concept and was a bit, in my opinion, inconsistent with its implementation, which makes sense, that game is enormous. I can't fault them for it not always working as well as it does in this tighter space, which meant that the game I come back to most often now, some years later, is the much more digestible Ground Zeroes. All killer, no filler, as the kids say. The only thing I haven't touched on is the narrative element of Ground Zeroes. I was not much interested in Peace Walker, so that game always felt more like a spin-off, side story, guide-end type entry to me. To see it become the core groundwork of what would be Metal Gear Solid's final entry was a strange surprise. I've always been a sucker for Metal Gear's narrative and all the good and bad that entails. I'm perfectly happy to replay Metal Gear Solid 4 any time and set the controller down for 94 minutes while Kojima vomits exposition at me. I love it. It's dumb, inefficient, inelegant, clunky, brilliant, and I love it. But Kojima's games have always had one weight tied to their ankle that I can't forgive or overlook. They always trade in embarrassing misogyny to varying degrees, and Ground Zeroes is no exception. I'm sure you'll cover the scene I'm referring to on the show, so I won't retread that territory, but it's tremendously frustrating. Which is a shame, because I adore and cherish everything else about this game, and when I look back on it, that scene is the last thing on my mind. I spent so much time exploring that island and experimenting with its systems, hunting for easter eggs, trying to see if I could put every single NPC on the helicopter, spoiler alert, you absolutely can, and just celebrating the details and idiosyncrasies of this game that I had expected to be a little more than a $30 demo. So you can put every NPC on the chopper. Every soldier. <laughs> yeah, I'd never even considered that possibility. I haven't either, and I'm thinking I've spent 27 hours and I haven't even put a single soldier <laughs> on that helicopter. Do you, get, do you get more points for it than just leaving them sleeping on the battlefield? I mean, obviously it's going to take time, so it's going to impact your clock. Yeah, I think I think it's a sort of diminishing returns, really, because mm. the, the points that you would achieve yeah. would be negated by the length of time it would take to do that. I couldn't imagine a more joyless two hours of my life, to tell you the truth. <laughs> if there were some... Mm, beautiful unlocks or some fantastic trophies or achievements tied to it maybe you could be tempted I know there is an achievement or a trophy for extracting the two in the um, extra ops mission yeah yeah eliminate the renegade threat yeah. you've got to eliminate the, uh, extract those two but you can actually just extract them by just driving them yeah. out on a jeep there it is yeah Good shot, Jansen says. Ground Zeroes was everything I was hoping for. The gameplay was tight, the atmosphere was dark and menacing. The antagonist was Mysterious Suit, a perfect foil for the legendary soldier, and seemed very agency, as in the CIA. Camp Omega was the perfect backdrop, and the shady feeling I had, being an American, acting in a way that was definitely not in my nation's interests, 
was a welcome change from the gung-ho recruitment fodder in most military-themed games like Ghost Recon or Call of Duty. America does some very shady shit, and Ground Zeroes pulls no punches. I loved everything up through the ending. Paz and Chico were wiped out along with MSF. The slate was being cleared. The final straw had been broken. Not to mention, I consider the intro, the trailer for Ground Zeroes, to be the single greatest bit of directing Kojima pulled off in all of Metal Gear Solid. Here's to you, Hideo. See what I did there? Anyway, the stage was set. Metal Gear Solid V would be the tale of the rise of Big Boss and the founding of Outer Heaven. More soon. Camille again says, Playing Ground Zeroes for the first time in early 2014 after watching that superb Guns of Navarone-inspired introduction made my heart beat faster at the thought of experiencing what could possibly be the glorious conclusion of my favourite video game franchise. Almost 100 hours of repetitive missions and underwhelming story beats later, I was left with little more than a crushing sense of heartbreaking disappointment instead. That's more of a Phantom Pain review, but it was relevant. I was going to say, 100 hours would do that to you. 100 hours of anything would leave you crushed. That was, yeah, I think um, I included that just because it, it suggests that Ground Zeroes was the peak of the, the five experience for some players, including okay. our friend K-Sub there. Well, I, I couldn't agree less than this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I still have to find out. Finally, from Correspondence, thanks everybody, from the forum, Simon Sloth says, To me, Ground Zeroes is to Metal Gear Solid 5 what the tanker demo was to Metal Gear Solid 2. It's essentially the start of the game, carved off and served up as an appetizer before the main meal. There are obvious differences, such as the formal challenges and alternative modes, but in the tanker demo, I made my own. So to me, not that different. What changed, however, is me. I don't have the free time and inclination to repeatedly play any game, even a Metal Gear Solid one. I didn't have the time to mess around like in that tanker where I knew every nook, cranny and enemy position. So upon release, I played the brief story mode, which took me about 30 minutes, and then messed around with some of the side modes for an hour or two and put it away. My completion percentage sat at about 20% when it was placed on the shelf to gather dust. This was the first Metal Gear Solid which had been sequestered away so quickly. I don't think with all honesty I would have gone back to it were it not for the cane and rinse scheduling. Given the series is still my favourite of all time, my nonplussed attitude towards Ground Zeroes was a big deal. I felt that in order to make a meaningful contribution to this podcast, I needed to replay it. Certain members of this forum were indirectly taunting me with their complete trophy lists too, which added an extra incentive. I fired it up and tried to do one of the side missions, and I quickly got frustrated as I couldn't remember the controls and the mechanics, so died over and over again. I turned off slightly appalled at how rubbish I was, but also at the bad taste it left me with. I decided, at the very least, I would give the short Ground Zero story mode a whirl. Within minutes, I had goosebumps. Without the silly, overly dramatic, slightly cartoonish characters and plotline, the series isn't quite the same. It's bizarre how much slack I was then willing to afford the game after watching a few minutes of cutscene. This mode also acts as a tutorial, so very quickly I was back into the game, transforming my bumbling oaf who set off every alarm into an S-rank, achieving ghost. Dodging explosions while sprinting across the battlefield, prisoner on my shoulders as my helicopter swoops in, pumping out Ride of the Valkyries, is simply wonderful. I was soon back in love, and on the path to 100% completion. I also realised that obtaining higher ranks unlocked extra weapons and bonuses, which made subsequent playthroughs easier, and importantly, more fun. There's something about this series, these games, which gives me butterflies. I unashamedly am in love again, 
and will be tying up every loose end before replaying the phantom pain. Okay, three word reviews time. Follow us on Twitter at Canarince. Wildest cat ever. Paid short demo. Pit War 4 was closure. Bearfish Pie says, explore Guantanamo Baez. Almost works. John Bear says, horrifying bomb cesarean. Lalu Genasan, tactical exfiltration operation. Andrew Elmore, immersive Walkman sim. <laughs> Robin Hoodie says, no every inch. And lastly, Simon Sloth says, zero to hero. Yeah, reflecting Simon's journey from meh to oh my goodness. <laughs> So in summary, well, I've definitely played it the least, so I'll go first. That's not to say that I didn't enjoy it. Uh, As I've said before, probably on every Metal Gear Solid show we did before, my thing about Kojima's games is not the storytelling, the sort of indulgent stuff, the politics. They have their place and their moment, and I I don't want him to stop doing it because he's obviously passionate about it, but I find a lot of it quite boring. actually takes me out of the experience rather than drawing me in. What I love about his games going all the way back to the MSX games is the attention to detail and his desire to give the player interesting and fun things to do. Even somebody who's not big on stealth gaming. I know I've ended up playing a lot of stealth featuring games for this podcast and I've got on with some of them better than others. I still get frustrated and I get impatient sometimes, but this game allows you to approach, approach it in so many different ways. Even the, even the missions that are you would think are ostensibly completely stealth heavy and stealth focused, you can still approach them in different ways. There are big weapons out there if you need them. I kind of take a half and half approach, as I said earlier. I'll tranquilize as many guards as I can before. If I run out of tranks, I'll shoot them in the head from a distance, sure. Um, but yeah, it was it was enjoyable seeing all the retro or the you know legacy stuff, the fan servicey stuff, the nostalgia stuff as well. Uh, I still need to do some more of that. I'm going to go back and play the Deja Vu mission a bit more before I move on to the Phantom Pain. But yeah, you've probably got this in a in a library somewhere already. And if you haven't played it, I would recommend at least play it one play that one story bit through to the end. And then if you enjoyed it, there's more to do. There's loads more to do. You can play this for 50 hours. Anyone who says this package is like two hours long simply hasn't done everything. I know I haven't. I'm about eight or, eight or ten hours in or something. Uh, so, yeah, it's a cool thing. I like it, apart from the bits that we spoke at length about earlier. It's disappointing, but um, that's what he wants to put in his games. Doesn't quite stop me from playing. Carl? I'm obviously a huge fan of stealth-based games, um, and it- it is a genre that I do probably dive into more than many others, and I know that they can be alienating to a large bunch of players, certainly off-putting uh, with how intensive your time can be or how uncomfortable you can feel in certain environments. And for me, I feel like Metal Gear Solid Five Ground Zeroes is probably the best blending of uh, stealth that we've seen from those like Leon who may approach a more natural... Um, action-based style but appreciates the stealth in there um it would it suits myself or someone like james who like the really deep stealth elements of gaming um and and it allows you to sort of play on that line it doesn't just suit itself in in one very specific place and 
I think when I recall most stealth games, I don't recall a whole package. I recall certain key levels in them. So um, if I think of something like Hitman, I immediately think of Blood Money, and then I think of the Curtain Call level, or I'll think of Splinter Cell, um, Chaos Theory, and I'll think of the uh, Lighthouse level. And that's what Ground Zeroes is to the Phantom Pain, offering all these more missions. That does not mean that it's overpriced for one level. It is a phenomenal level with so many different ways to play it, so many different approaches, so many challenges that unlock collectibles that are there and then the side ops missions that quite honestly i found that this is a more enjoyable experience for me than the phantom pain um and it it's something that i've really appreciated going back to after all this time it's still superb there's still little touches that i'd forgotten about and still make me smile as i go back i just think it's an absolute treasure chest of little touches in gaming that i have really enjoy playing and i think from a gameplay perspective it's the most enjoyable metal gear solid experience i've ever had i do think you've got to step back a little way i don't think it tells the best story or a great story at all in fact you don't really need any of it to appreciate what's there and what is there can leave a, a sort of a, a poor taste or a sour taste in the mouth and we've talked about that at length already on this podcast but if you've made it this far and now you're listening to this and you've still not played it, please don't let that put you off trying this because it is a really great experience um, that really does encourage coming back to more and more. And as Leon said, do not pay too much credence to those reviews that are, it's a two-hour experience or you know it, it's, it's a long demo or something. It really is so, so much more than that, and that really does do this game a huge disservice. Cheers, Carl. Jay. I have no regrets of playing this whatsoever. Yeah, there's definitely parts that I found uh, distasteful, but I've enjoyed the time I spent playing it. I think it's absolutely necessary to play this if you've got any interest in, if you haven't already at this point, played Phantom Pain. You kind of have to play Ground Zeroes. It's the set-off. It's the the launching point of that game. It, It provides a certain amount of context as to what happens at the start of that one. But I, I think Ground Zeroes is this amazing sort of test bed of, of the things that you can approach with Phantom Pain. So, you know, it's sort of this quite enclosed space. Um, sure, you've got way bigger maps in Phantom Pain, but it's, it feels like it's the same kind of approach to certain areas of that, where you can go in and experiment with the, the sort of... It opens your mind up with, with Ground Zeroes in terms of just playing around with stuff. And that's what I pull from these games. That's what I find the most enjoyable thing is just just testing things, seeing what you can come up with, getting creative with it and seeing if it allows you, which it often does. You know, it's, yeah, it's the thing I always take away from it. And the fact that you've got it for free or you've got copies sitting in, you know, subscription services and stuff, it's, you know, if you haven't tried it, you've got to kind of give it, give it a time of day, at least, you know, an hour, you know. Just play the main story one and, and go from there. Agreed. And let's conclude with our guest, Rich. So I think um, you guys have done a bit of the heavy lifting for me and Jay's kind of really like reciprocated a lot of my thoughts. But I think for me, I think um, it was nice to be able to explore Ground Zeroes independently of Phantom Pain because I struggled to disaggregate the two, as we've mentioned throughout the, the podcast. 
And obviously there's some pretty severe problems to do with the woeful delivery of dialogue from Skullface and Paz and some really uncomfortable, regrettable subject matters. But I think Grand Zeroes is a really exceptional uh, game on the whole and, and really the, the balance is in the favour of the positives as opposed to the negatives. I think that Kojima and his team do a pretty good job of establishing a sense of time and to some extent a sense of place if you're willing to read around the subject matter and the elegantly weave some of their uh, issues into current events of the time. And, um, but I think really the, the the politics of the game is what I'm quite interested in because if you think about when the game's created, no other developer, no other studio and no other directors really tackling games that are set in Guantanamo Bay. I mean, if you look at the things that uh, Barack Obama dealt with in the early 2010s to do with controversial issues of rendition and human rights, rights abuse in, in Camp X-Ray, really only Kojima is willing to take that on and and potentially you know alienate some of his his um market i guess i think the the torture tapes though they were feckless in nature really needed to be there to try and discuss some of the issues that's going on in in guantanamo bay at the time it's just a shame that he goes at it with all of the delicacy of, of a hammer <laughs> then what he really needs is a scalpel yeah. the engine's mm. versatile and as a bit of a vertical slice it's really nice to see and you know it's good fun to play i've got about 30 hours of that in that game and so I couldn't really recommend that any, well, I, I could not recommend it. I haven't spent that much time in there. I think um, it's essential to play uh, Ground Zeroes to really have a wider understanding of Peace Walker and to some extent what's going on in, in Guantanamo Bay. And I think if you take Kojima out of the Fox engine, what you end up getting is basically Metal Gear Survive, which is mm -hmm. a vapid experience and commercially a flop at the same point. Beautifully concluded, Rich. Uh, so it remains for me, Leon, to thank Jay Carl and Rich as well as our correspondents, and to you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, don't forget, please do subscribe to get it regularly. Rate it and review it wherever you can, including Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes, or any other service. But best of all, if you want to really help us out, patreon.com slash canarince. We only ask for the minimum, which is a US dollar a month, about 20 English pence a week, and you get every one of these shows a week earlier than you would otherwise often extended this one maybe like 10 minutes longer or something than you'd get for free you also get an exclusive monthly podcast and our format specials a quarter of a year early that's not too bad is it for a dollar a month patreon.com slash cane and rinse next time in issue 384 is it me or is it getting super hot in here <laughs>